Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. At these ropings, you know, we we have a novice group and an open group, and, and the novice are just kind of more beginner types. And, and there are a lot of times they're nervous going in there. We rope big cattle, and they're pretty fresh yesterday was tough they were tough cattle and a lot of times they're nervous and and so we send an open roper in with with them to help them and just kind of mentor them guide them uh help them out and so when i've done it that in the past uh you when you go in you they'll call out a cow number to you and and then you have to there's 10 to 12 head in a in a herd and you have to um rope that specific cow and so whenever we go in there and they call out the cow number, I'll, I'll always tell my novice, I'm like, that's a good cow. That's a really good cow. Good draw. Yep. And uh, I have no idea what kind of cow she is. <laughs> but it's, it always helps them because they're like, oh, great. Good cow. And immediately their mind goes to the positive thought of, hey, I got a good cow. And then they, they tend to not be as nervous. They tend to rope better. And they'll just ride in and rope it. And yesterday, you could see that the, the novice group actually roped a lot better than the open ropers did. Um, and so, if you tell them, you know, if I, you know, it's maybe a white lie, okay? Because occasionally there's a dirty, rotten uh, heifer in there that, and you're like, man, that she is a bad draw. But if you tell them, hey, man, this heifer is really bad, they, they're immediately going to, gonna, their thought process will be that this is going to be bad. And it turns out bad. And that's usually the way it works. If you tell them it's going to be good, it turns out good. And so there's a lot of power in, in our thoughts and, and, and in our thought process as we do that. And um, this week, I was talking with my friend Sean. We, we take care of a bunch of yearling cattle with our boss, and we were driving to Franktown one morning, and, and we were talking about, about uh, thoughts and, and, and how thoughts can shape our day and you know, he was talking about trying to start off his day with, with, with positive thoughts. And I'm, this time of year, I'm a pretty pessimistic person because I'm getting tired and I'm getting cranky and grouchy and ready f- for all the cattle in the state to be shipped out of the country. And, and uh, horses are sore and they're, they're pessimistic too. And, and, uh, and sometimes that, that's my nature. I just tend to, to look at the, the negative side of things and, um, it tends to lead you, if you start going that way, it tends to lead you into more negative and more negative, and then pretty soon your day is ruined because you made it that way, because you, in your thought process, it, you made it that way. And So I was, after I talked with Sean, I'm like, I, you know, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's something here. And so I decided to, to do a little Bible study on thoughts and, and what Jesus would say about that. And uh, it kind of scared me, to be honest with you, because, uh, yeah, just like that. That's what Jesus said to me. <laughs> uh, because in, in Mark 7, uh, verse 20, it says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, and then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from, from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within you, and they are what defile you. So evil thoughts is right there in the list. And uh, so it's, it's, it's sort of scary because uh, Kevin had said um, 
Out of your lips flows the true nature of your heart. Um, well, your thoughts reveal your true character. Because we, we can have evil thoughts but not act on them, and nobody knows it. Okay? But that's still there, and God knows it. And God knows what we're thinking every single time, and, and you can't hide it from him. I mean, I've tried. I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking something bad about that person, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at self-control, so I'm not going to say anything. So that, that must mean it's, not, mean it's not sinful. But that's the opposite. Uh, he, says, he says, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So that, that tells you that thought is sin. Okay? I always kind of equated action with sin. I can think whatever I want, but unless I actually kill the guy, uh, I haven't sinned. Well, I'm wrong. Imagine that. Because it says in Matthew 5, 21, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder, but if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. So what that's saying is... is uh, Thoughts are sin. Evil thoughts, bad thoughts are sin, and and uh, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like my old issue that I used to have. My alcoholism uh, wasn't sinful to, to have a drink, but it was sinful to let that take me in a direction and and create thoughts and words and actions that went against God's word. And so, thoughts are basically the precursor to what's going to come next. Okay. You have the thought, then you open your mouth, and then you do something. And that, that's where uh, it's kind of like the gateway to sin. And so uh, with, with all of these things always in the Bible, when, when you read something scary, the first thing I look for is, is some hope, right? Because I'm a heathen. I'm, like, I'm definitely going to hell now because, because I read that, and, and I've applied it to myself. Well, there's always hope in these deals. And uh, if you study a little further, you get to the hope part. And, and, and as, with, as with every sin in our lives, if we can, if we can ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us. But, but then we have an obligation to, to try to repent and work on that. Repentance means we're going to try not to do that again. And it's hard because Kevin talked last week about not swerving. And, and this week, I you know, like a hundred times a day, I'd say out loud, don't swerve, because my thoughts started going in a way that was leading me to a, to a not a pretty path, okay? Um, when I judged that roping yesterday, I, I, I wound up judging it, um, so I got to pass judgment on a lot of good cowboys yesterday, a lot of fun. Um, the, on our score sheet, we, we, we have a complicated score sheet. It, we're not, we don't, go by time at these big loop ropings. We have a time limit, so it doesn't take all day, but, but uh, it's a judged event. And so in our, on our score sheet, we have a lot of different places where you can earn points by fancy loops you throw or, or holding the herd correctly or whatever. But on the bottom of the score sheet, there's, a, there's a three categories that are subjective, and the, the judge's discretion on them. And one is horsemanship, one is stockmanship, and one is teamwork. And in the past when I've judged, I've, I've always kind of, Take, took that as an opportunity to, to find the negative in, in what was happening, all the ugly stuff that's going on, you know, uh, the dust and the, and the, the horses getting rim-fired and the cattle getting, you know, choked and the things like that. And I was really quick to put those negative points down there. Um, Kevin started out with a negative two yesterday for being Texan, but 
you know, I can't avoid that. That's, every Texan gets treated the same. Um, but uh, yesterday I decided, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what, what the good book says, and I'm going to look for the good in, 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 in every person and in every situation. And so yesterday I, I did give out just a few negative ones because it was to the point where I kind of needed to, but, but mostly I kept it to the where it was all positive points. Uh, when I'd see, you know, if, if, an, if a run was just average, there was, it was just average. There was, there was no extra given. There was none taken away. But every time I saw a little something with a guy trying with a, with a horse that had improved, with a, you know, with a uh, rider that had improved, with someone that was trying to do the right thing, man, I was, I was generous with the positive points. And, and I, that's the most fun I think I've ever had at roping because I hate judging. I want to be out there roping. I want to be in the action, so I don't like judging them. Um, and so it's usually pessimistic me. I'm like, ah, I got to judge this thing again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make them pay for it. Uh, it was the most fun I've ever had at roping, just because it was a simple thing of having the thought process to where I was just gonna look for the good, have positive thoughts, keep the evil out. Uh, and and it was a it was a challenge for me because about every three seconds an evil thought comes through my mind, and I have to. Don't swerve. Stay, stay straight. So, uh, so there's hope. So, but we have to work at it. And, and it says right here in Ephesians 4, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. <coughs> So we can let the Spirit come into us and renew our thoughts. We have help. We don't have to do this by ourselves. But we have to ask for help. It just isn't going to happen on its own. We have to ask for it. And I don't know how many times I asked the Holy Spirit for help yesterday to, to stay positive. And it's, it's, it, it takes a little bit of work, but it's worth it, man. I had a great day. Uh, in, uh, in Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is Paul. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. How much better would this world be if we fixed our thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? Uh, it'd be a pretty, pretty neat deal if we could do that. Um, and then it, he goes on and says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. How many people thought about something this morning that was excellent or worthy of praise? Or did we, or did we all get up and think the same thing we always think man I have to go to church today you know it's cutting into my breakfast it's cutting into you know the replay of the Broncos game which you don't want to watch uh, try, tried to see the good in the Broncos game last night had to reach deep <laughs> um, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace will be with you there's the hope if we can if we can Get our thoughts right and, and dwell on the good and, and stay away from those, those things that are going to lead us off that, that straight path that Kevin talked about last week. Uh, there's going to be peace. It's guaranteed. It says it in the book here, and, it, and, and God doesn't lie. And so um, I, thank everybody for the I thank everybody for putting up with my pessimism, especially Kevin in the past and things, and, and a lot of times I've you know, he's, he has a great idea, and I just shoot it down because I can immediately see all the negative parts of it. Uh, I promise I'm going to work on that. I'm going to I'm going to go out of here today and and uh, 
fight those evil thoughts and the devil sitting on my shoulder trying to trying to get me to think bad about someone or bad about a situation and uh, try to instead look for the good in all things. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for today and the chance to get together and with love in our hearts and, and hopefully with an open mind so that we can learn from your word. Just pray that we all can can go out of here with, with a more positive outlook, with, with, with good thoughts in our mind, and uh, and try to stay away from the evil and the sin that, that leads from first just from a from an impure thought. Ask that you be with, with everyone today who's hurting or struggling in their life, that they would find peace and comfort in you, Lord, and let the Spirit come into their life and, and lead them down the path that you all want us to lead, which is which is straight to Jesus. Ask you be with Kevin and Help him lead and, and guide and teach us. And especially be with Nancy today as she gets baptized and starts her new life. She has the opportunity today to, to start out with a new life and, and, and a positive thought in her mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Kevin Weatherby. Uh, we started Save the Cowboy uh, about seven years ago, and it has grown to one of the largest cowboy ministries in the nation. Uh, it has little to do with uh, me or Ty, but a lot to do with everybody sitting here today and everybody watching online. Um, we're up to nearly about 45,000 people a month that we reach with the message, and uh, it has been a, a wonderful journey, and it, but it's also been a hard one, and as Ty said, I'd like to thank every single one of you that in uh, every form and fashion that y'all have made a difference in this ministry, and uh, we'll be talking more today about how to uh, live a Christ-like life, uh, and in some unexpected ways. So uh, if this is your first time here, uh, I, I hope it won't be the last, and I hope that all of you watching on Facebook or online won't won't just, you know, get distracted and, and swerve to the left or right, but we'll stick with it because I know that uh, God had a message for me, and all I do is, is pass that along to y'all. And at some point today, you're probably going to think, you know, well, this isn't for me. You know, it must be for, for Kevin or Ty or the person sitting ahead or behind, but but. God's message is, is for you today, and if you will take it home and apply it to your lives, it will, be, it will yield wonderful results. This is a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. We're not here to, to say, look at Kevin, or look at Ty, or look at Save the Cowboy. Our job here is, is to introduce you to Jesus Christ, and then we step back and we hope that you get a personal relationship with Jesus because you're not going to get up to the proverbial pearly gates, which there are none, but you're not going to get up there to the proverbial pearly gates and go, well, you know, I, I, I went to church, you know, you know, going to church doesn't make you, uh, going to a church service doesn't make you a Christian. You know, I've been in the pasture my whole life and I'm not a cow. Okay, so, you know, keep, keep that in mind. It's about the application of God's Word and the change that it produces in our hearts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 15. 
As, as Ty talked about, we had our last of a three-part uh, series roping at the Long X Ranch with our yearlings, and uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful time, and uh, I, I have to say that if, if Ty was awarding points for trying, I should have won it yesterday, not based upon my roping, but uh, I, I, I tried uh, really hard on, on, on my first team. Uh, we got out there and we got the first one down and, and, and did a, a real good job. And uh, then on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, second, on the second cow we drew, she was the littlest one in the bunch. And um, because she was the smallest one, she could hide really good. And, and most of our cattle are, are, are black cattle. And so when you've got 10 other black cows in there, it's hard to keep track of one, especially when she has the habit of, of just ducking her head and putting it right up against the cow next to her. And so we chased her around there, and I think we all threw two or three loops at her and never, never got her caught. And so uh, in order to make the short go, you have to rope two back-to-back -back and uh, in, within a certain time frame in the open roping. And out of 18 open ropers, which, you know, those are the professional ropers, but they'll let anybody in, obviously. And so uh, there, out of 18 teams, there was only six qualified runs that got two roped in, in the allotted time. It was, it was a really rough day of roping, but it was a really great day of roping uh, as well. But I was on the second team, and then I wasn't up again until the 11th team. So I had a long time to kind of think about what, what I might have done wrong and, and, and try to fix and, and all of this stuff. And so whenever it came time for our second rope, and I, I drew up with, which I, all, all of the open ropers are, are phenomenal cowboys and cowgirls. And uh, so I came out on my second one. And uh, a guy come in there, and I mean, he caught her on the first shot, and I was like, man, that's really good. And then I went in there, and I threw a backhand hip shot, but, but, my, but my back end of the, of the rope didn't go behind the cow like it was supposed to. It just kind of hit her in the side and looped over, and I automatically thought, oh, I missed, because it wasn't exactly right. But as I'm sitting there looking at it, I, all I could focus on was the fact that I didn't get that back strand across the hip, but the loop was over and it, I could have picked up at least one foot and I was sitting there looking at it. And before, before I even knew what I was doing, I jerked, I, you know, I jerked my rope back and, and, and one of the guys roping with me was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, cause I mean, it, it, okay. It wasn't the shot that I had planned, uh, it didn't go as planned, but it still would have worked. And I and I started chastising myself internally. I was like, "Oh man, what are you doing? You know, you end up throwing a good shot and you pull it off." You know, and so uh, he reached down there and 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 he double hawked this cow. And I thought, "Oh great, now, now I got to get down and do the groundwork because once the cow is headed and healed." Then they, then you go and you you lay the cow down and you have to put two feet in the back loop and two loop, uh, two feet in the front loop, and then you get back on on your horse and that's a lot easier said than done. Whenever the cattle weigh about seven hundred and fifty pounds, now they're not big, you know, twelve hundred pound cows, but we're not talking about little baby cute doe eyed calves either, okay? And so anyway, I I got off my horse and as I was getting off my horse. What I failed to notice is that that cow had scissor kicked her back legs and pulled one leg out. 
Well, you know, they had stretched her out, and she was on the ground, so I didn't see that the leg was out. Whenever you, whenever you put the loops in, you always start with the back end, and you pull the tail between their legs, and, and you wrap the rope around, and the guy gets as close as he can to the cow, and it kind of lifts those back legs up off the ground where she can't get up. Well, I went to the front end, which you don't do the front end whenever there's not two back one's rope, and I start trying to roll her over, and the same guy that had chastised me about pulling my rope off, he's like, what are you doing? You got to do the back legs first, and, you know, and, and here's all these great cowboys watching, and I'm thinking, oh man, everybody thinks I'm just an idiot, right? You know, I'm, here's the Gunsel cowboy preacher out there not doing anything right, so I went to the back, and, and I looked up at him. I said, I didn't see that you'd slipped a back leg. My, my apologies, and so I got it done, and, and I got her on, but, but her legs were sticking straight out the back, and she had both her front legs folded up underneath her. And so I'm trying to pull her over, and I, and I get on the head, and I'm starting to get winded. And, 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 I mean, I've got her by an ear, and I'm pulling, and nothing's happening. And he's like, it'd be a lot easier if you pulled her tail. It's like, good grief, how many things is going to go wrong during this run? So I grabbed her by the tail, and I pulled her over, and he's like, that works better, doesn't it? Oh. So I get up on the front end and I and I put the front legs in and and even on a smooth run doing the groundwork is is just it's it's very seldom very easy. And so anyway, I I get back up on my horse and I have to build another loop because everybody has to head one. So one guy's out, so it was just gonna be me and the heel guy. And, and neither one of us have a loop built. So I remember sitting there on, on, on my horse, and, I, and I'm building a loop, and, and they're like, build faster, build faster, you know, because we got a time limit. And I'm sitting there, and I'm already huffing and puffing, right? So I got this grand plan that I, I, I'm not going to be on the ground this time. I'm going to get in there and get one roped. And so Ty calls out our number, and, and, and I walk in there, and I'm like, oh, please, you don't want to be on the ground again. You got to get this thing roped. And boy, those cowboys rolled them around real nice. And I threw a real pretty shot. It landed. I pulled my slack top. Everybody clapped. The engine caught one. You know, it's it great. And so anyway, I dallied up. And then I, I couldn't really get short. And I knew we were kind of running out of time. So uh, anyway, I kind of drug her out. And I was a little bit long on her. But uh, the other guy came in and he healed it. And I was like, yeah. I ain't got to do groundwork, and he slipped a back leg again. And so the other guy came in, and he's going to rope a front leg. Well, when one's got the back legs roped and one's got the front leg roped, guess who gets to do the groundwork again? Me. And so he picked up, he, he nearly had two feet, but whenever it was all said and done, he only had one. Now, usually that works if you've got one hind leg roped and one front leg roped if they're on the same side. But when they're not, because it was a back right leg that's roped, and it was the front le left leg that's roped, what happens is when you stretch them out, that cow will put both of those other feet like this, and I get down and I try to pull, and her butt just kind of goes about that far. And I mean, like I said, I'm already winded. I only had like a minute and 30 second break. And so I pull again and nothing happens. Two minutes to go. So I got plenty of time. Just take your, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Idiot. Right. And so anyway, I, you know, I, I start pulling on her. And like I said, man, these are like 750 pound yearlings. I mean, that outweighs me by like 500 pounds. Right. 
you know, I, I'm really compact and dense. I, I hide my 62250 really well. And so, anyway, you know, it might have well been a... F- she would have got more movement trying to swish flies than me pulling on her. And I'm, I'm pulling and nothing happens. And I pull and nothing happens. One minute to go. I'm pulling even harder. And best laid plans. Finally, 30 seconds to go. By now, I'm like, that's about all the energy I have. Finally, I just leaned back on the tail. <laughs> I was done for. And they called time. And, and, I, and I sat there, and, you know, I felt like I had let my team down. And so uh, I think it was Sean Soa came out. I had to have help getting my cow down, okay, to add insult to injury. And me and Sean both were like, and we barely got her down. And so uh, I, I took the back rope off, and Sean took the front rope off. And now, if I thought I was winded before, I wasn't winded. There was no wind left. I mean, I was just, <sighs> there wasn't enough oxygen at 6,300 feet in, in the world at that arena. And so I, I, I got back on my horse, and I rode over by, by Brett and Heidi, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to catch my breath, and, and I can't catch my breath. And I'm sitting there, and they're like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just, whew, man, doing groundwork, especially that type of groundwork when you don't even get it done and you struggle for minutes and minutes and minutes uh, trying to uh, manhandle a 750-pound heifer. And I got, I got more winded and more winded and more winded. I huffed and puffed but couldn't blow the house down with 50 people watching me struggle through toil and trial and tribulation. If things were going to go wrong, uh, they could have got worse. But I don't think I would have, I wouldn't have been winded if I'd have got bucked off like that. How do you respond when things don't go your way, when, when those trials and tribulations and adversity strikes? How do you respond? So after the roping yesterday, as Ty said, with some of the stuff he was going through, I started going to look at the good book about how Jesus responded in times of, of, of trial and tribulation and adversity. And so I, I went straight to his, his, uh, his actual trial before the Sanhedrin whenever they have him before Pilate to be executed. Now, the Sanhedrin, they were very powerful in the Jewish nation, but, but they couldn't sentence somebody to death because Rome was occupying Okay, so they had to take him before Pilate, and they're yelling, crucify him, and all of this stuff. And Pilate asked Jesus a question. He said, Aren't, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, he says, you said it, I didn't. That's paraphrased, but that's what he said. And so they start even more, you know, blasphemer and, and all of this stuff, and, and they're yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. And, and so in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 4, so again, Pilate asked him, I mean, Jesus is standing next to Pilate. There's all these people in front, and they're all throwing these accusations and condemnations and, and, and all of this stuff, saying bad things about him. And, and Pilate says, so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? And then in verse 5, it says, but Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, now that word, if you, if you go back to the Greek, if that's one of your things, I, I love words. But, but what, that, what that word means is, is uh, surprised, 
that lead, surprise that leads to respect. So, you know, here's Pilate. He, he's not a believer or anything. And, and with Jesus not saying anything, just standing there, he's not, he's not criticizing, he's not defending himself, he's not doing anything. It amazed Pilate that Jesus could stand there and not say anything. See, Jesus was being cool. And I, and I don't mean like cool in like a rad or a groovy kind of way or, or swagger or anything. But, but he was just, he was cool on the inside. He knew the true trial that was to come would happen on the cross. Not with people accusing him of things. And the cross, even though the true trial would come on the cross, he knew that that cross would lead to victory over death. Also, Jesus was calm despite the emotions surely running through him. And, and, and how can we say that, that Jesus' emotions were, were, were probably, you know, through the, through the roof? You know, just the night before, he knew this, this was going to happen, and he had asked God, he said, if this cup of suffering may be taken from me, please do it, but not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. So, I mean, he was in such agony the night before that he was sweating drops of blood. So, I mean, the emotions are through the roof. But not only was he cool, he was also calm. And the third thing was Jesus was composed. Jesus kept his composure, which is the result of being cool and calm. And that was when Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Being cool, calm, and composed in the face of adversity, attack, ailments, anger, or even in the face of death itself is an amazing Christ-like quality that can reach people even when the truth could not. Because, you know, even before that, uh, Pilate said something to Jesus, and Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? I mean, the very embodiment of truth itself which is God, is standing right before him and he couldn't see it. But yet, whenever the accusations and the condemnation and all of that was flying at the trial, when anybody else, when it would have been you or me or Ty or Abe or, or, or TC, man, we, we would have just been all up in arms and I didn't do that. That ain't true. Jesus sat there and said nothing. And Pilate was amazed. See, we can have a ministry within ourselves that will reach people when words won't. And it's how we respond when people are watching. It's what happens whenever you're out there doing all you can with the best laid plans of, of pulling on a cow and people can see your pain, they can see your struggle, and they can see everything. But how do you respond to it will say more about who you are than a million different words that you speak. So how can we have this type of amazing ministry? We do it by following the example of Christ. Of when we go through trials and tribulations and times of adversity, of doing the same things he did. The first of being is we have to be amazingly cool. Cool is how you respond to things when things don't go as planned. My wife calls me Mr. Planny Planner Planner Guy. I mean, I wake up in the morning, and before I'm even out of bed, I have this idea of how my day is going to go. 
Okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And, and, and subconsciously, I'm like, and everything has to fall right into place. And I know I'm not the only one that, that plans something out. And we think we should know how it's going to go. And, and the very first thing we do, it just, nothing works out as planned. And there's been too many times that I care to mention that in these times of, of struggle that I wasn't cool. That I, I lost my cool when things didn't go as planned. But you know what? 99% of everything we plan doesn't work out the way we think it should. Sometimes it works out for the better. Sometimes it goes the other way. But it's not in what happens to us, but in how we respond is the key. And it is a great ministry that will amaze people, that will reach people that... that uh, that words will not reach. You can be nice to people, but you know that doesn't do any good. You can do kind things for people, and that may do a little bit of good. They may appreciate it. You can even go further and love people, but that doesn't mean that they're going to hear the truth because what they see is what changes. And didn't Jesus come to be the example of the Christians that we're supposed to be? Now, we'll never be Jesus but we can definitely look at his example and try to respond in the same ways. He says over and over and over that when you become a Christian, that things aren't going to go like you planned them. You know, I, I think that a lot of times we ask the question, why is God doing this to me? Okay, why is God doing this? Well, maybe that's not the right question. The right question might be not why is God doing this to me, but maybe we should ask the question, what is God going to do through this? What is God going to do through this? And the effectiveness of what God can use is a lot of time dependent upon your response. You can go in winded, throw a great shot, and still wind up doing the groundwork. I mean, things don't always go as planned. I mean, the best laid plans, but you know what? God's ways are not your ways. I wouldn't be standing up here today bragging about this great Houlihan shot I threw and we laid it down and nothing happened and it was just a nice, great run. Sometimes God gives us sermons through trials and tribulations and failures instead of successes and easy times. How do you act when things don't go your way? How do you respond when things don't go as planned. In John 14, 27, Jesus himself gives us a glimpse of how we should respond. He said, peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried or upset and do not be afraid. And isn't those three things, being upset, being worried, and being afraid, is what leads to us losing our cool. Why, why we end up doing things that are contrary to the way that, the, that Jesus told us to live. I mean, unfortunately in my life, and, and, and I would dare to say it's been at times in your life, I hope not very often, but Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? That right there is the biggest problem with, with religion today is, is we claim to follow a Lord, but we don't do anything the way he says to do it. We don't love on people. We, 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 we're satisfied with being nice to people, of, 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 of having great manners, but we're never kind. And if you can't be kind, you'll never love. 
But Jesus says, man, even through trials and tribulations, when things don't go as planned, I'm giving you my peace. But you know what? Just because he gives you something doesn't mean that you have to use it. He's not going to force it on you. All of a sudden, when things don't go as planned, he's not going to go, and all of a sudden you're going to be peaceful. You've got to know that that peace is available to you, but you've got to use it. Which leads to the second thing of how to be amazing To have an amazing ministry is not just to be cool on the inside, not losing our cool when things don't go as planned, but also to be amazingly calm. Calm is being able to resist the urge to give in to the emotions produced through adversity. You know, uh, whenever I was just a little bitty old kid, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I I went to California and and a cousin of, an older cousin of my dad's took me and my cousin to... uh, to the beach, and, and, and I really wanted to surf, but I, I, I realized that that was probably beyond my, beyond my skill level, but they had this thing called a boogie board, which is basically surfing on your belly, right, and I thought, well, surely I can do that, and so I would start paddling out there, I was kind of watching other people, but I'd get out there just a little bit of ways, and a wave would catch me, and I'd kind of start going backwards, and then that wave would take me even faster and spin me around if I didn't fall off, and then it'd yard dart me into the sand, I was like, what am I doing wrong? So I got to watch and not just what the, the, the main things people were doing, but what those surfers would do is they'd start paddling out, and when that wave, instead of it catching, they would dip down and they would go under the wave and come back up on the other side so that the wave didn't wash them to the shore. You can't stop the wave of emotions, okay? That, that's one of, the, that's one of the, the misconceptions about Christianity is that when you give your life to God and you're following him, that you're not going to have all of these wild emotions running through you. They're still going to be there. We're still human. We're still fallible. But that doesn't mean that we don't let them wash us back to where we started and yard dart us head first into the sand. Things aren't going to go the way you planned, but you've got to keep your head and keep your cool. You've got to remain calm. You can't, you can't get washed back and have to start all over. You know, sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes that's going to happen. But most times, he lets the storm rage and offers to calm the cowboy for those willing to listen. In Judges chapter 6, verse 23, it says, Calm down and don't be afraid, the Lord replied. You're not going to die. Okay, man, when, when you have those, those negative emotions, you know, trying to wash you away and you just think that there's no way through, sometimes you just got to hold your breath and dive a little deeper instead of getting taken back to where you started. Okay, don't calm down. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Okay, you, you know what? Here, 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 here's another thing. You're not going to explode if you don't open your mouth and say something, okay? And I know that that's hard sometimes because people will say things, people will do things, they'll cut you off in traffic, the cow won't go down, you keep missing loops, you can't get the groundwork done, whatever the case may be. But we got to calm down and not be afraid. You're not going to die. And the third thing is what's produced by the other two is being amazingly composed. Because, you know, what's going on on the inside, as Ty was talking about, what goes on on the inside is going to bleed to the outside. Okay? If you are cool, if you keep your head when things don't go your way, 
And when you are able to remain calm and don't get upset and don't be afraid and, and all of this stuff, when you are cool and calm, then the outward expression of that is what we call composure. It doesn't mean that this stuff isn't going on inside. It means that you are choosing to keep your head when things didn't go your way and remaining calm, not in spite of there not being any crazy big waves of emotion, but despite them that we can dive down, hold our breath for just a second, shut our eyes and just grit and just keep moving forward. Easier said than done, right? But once again, the good book goes in and it describes exactly how we can do this. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, Paul says, make it your ambition. Make it your ambition. Okay? Now think about that word ambition. That means your goal in life. And I think if I was to hook all of us up to a, to a uh, lie detector or something, and we said, what is your biggest ambition in life? it would probably not be what the good book says. But it is in plain black and white what Paul says. He says, make it your ambition, your number one goal in life. It doesn't mean that you can't have others. But your top priority should be to lead a quiet life. I mean, I think that we would be fooling ourselves if we said, man, that's me right there. I don't care about anything except leading a quiet life. Man, the, especially in America, our, our, our goals are, are ingrained in us to, to be successful and to get that better job and the bigger house and the better horse and the handmade saddle and the new rope and, and be able to wow people with our skills and all of that. But, but Paul says, man, don't, that shouldn't be your number one ambition. Your number one ambition should be to lead a quiet life. And then he tells us how to do it. He tells us how to do it. And the good news is, is that most of us probably aren't that far away. It's not an unattainable goal. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Okay? For those of you that don't speak Texan, that means mind your own business. Okay, you can't lead a quiet life if you're constantly opening your mouth to everything that somebody else says or somebody else does. You ain't got no control over a stinking soul except you. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You don't have to respond. Jesus didn't respond in the face of accusations of people trying to kill him. He sat there and was quiet. He knew that his victory on the cross would lead to victory over death itself. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, man, you've already won. Nothing anybody says or does can ever take that way away for those that believe in him as their Lord and Savior and follow him. In other words, mind your own business. It's easy to say and it's hard to do, especially in the face of adversity, when you're not cool, when you've lost your cool, when you're not calm, when your composure is the exact opposite of that and you're just flying off the handle and responding. And, you know, after the first service, uh, me and Ty and Robert were talking and, and they were like, you know, there's some other things that you can do. You know, you can have the guy with the front leg throw over a kind of a step over where you kind of catch both feet, but the one will slip, you know, slip out. And there's all of these things. And then we started laughing because I thought of a hundred things I could have done afterwards. But man, when you're in the thick of it and there's a time and everybody's watching, man, you, you just forget everything else except jerking on the tail. 
And that's exactly what I did. But Paul says, make it your ambition in life to lead a quiet life of minding your own business and working with your hands. Man, one of the worst things in our society today is we live in a push-button society. I mean, y'all that's been here for a while, you've heard me say this, but there's a pill for everything. I mean, we ain't got to go down to the creek and, 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 and wash our clothes. I mean, we, we talk about doing laundry all day, and, and really it consists of throwing clothes into a machine and putting a button. And I know that that can take time and it's no fun, but we do. We live in a push-button society. We've got a machine that we put dirty dishes in and close the deal and hit a button again, and it cleans our dishes for us, and then we're stressed out. You know why you're stressed out? Because you're not doing anything. Idle hands lead to ruin. And I'm not saying become a busybody. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what? We should stay off of our phones. You know? Get up and do something productive. Do something that that gives meaning. What'd you do today? I spent seven hours on Facebook. That's not going to do anything. I was up in everybody's business on Facebook. I just like riling them people up. That's not it, man. No wonder you're stressed out. No wonder we need pills. No wonder we need machines. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. He says, make it your ambition in life to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. And he's repeating himself here. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody except God. Think about that, man. He's given us the answers. But just because he gives you the answers doesn't mean that you use the answers. It doesn't mean that I've used the answers. And I guarantee you, this is the hard way. It's real easy to mouth off and blow, you know, have your head blow off at every little thing that happens. It's hard to remain cool. It's hard to remain calm. It's it's really rare in life to see somebody keep their composure. But if we make it our ambition in life, to lead a quiet life by minding our own business and and staying off of our phones and doing stuff that's meaningful. Go talk to your wife. Do something for your husband. Play Farkle with the kids. That's what I did mostly on my vacation last week is I played a dice game with my kids and had a ball. Make it your ambition in life to lead a quiet life. Being able to be composed, cool, and calm is an amazing form of faith that people will notice. I'm not telling you to go out and become a preacher and memorize a hundred Bible verses. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But if you want to have a ministry, and if you are a believer in Christ, you have a ministry. Every one of our jobs, Matthew 28, go out into the world and make disciples of all men and all nations. You can do that by remaining cool, by remaining calm, and having composure. That will reach people that words will never reach. It says it right there in 1 Thessalonians. So that your daily life, daily, not once. Well, I did it once. I'm good. Never have to do it again. No. So that in your daily life, you can win the respect of outsiders, of those that don't know Jesus. They'll want that peace that you have. They'll want that peace that Jesus gave you. So I I, I got done with my run, and I rode over there, and I sat beside Brett and Heidi, and I don't even remember who the other one was. And I'm sitting there, and and I just, I can't catch my breath. And I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm breathing deep and I'm, 
And I sat there for probably five minutes, and they're like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I just, I, I just can't seem to catch my breath. And it was about that time that the wheezing started. You see, I'm a horrible asthmatic, been hospitalized numerous times, but I'm on a new medication that I don't even carry a rescue inhaler anymore. I don't even have one, but I felt that wheezing come on. And so I real nicely rode over to my house. I got off. I start undoing the cinch. I take the bridle off of my horse. I hobbling, buckle it, and I walk inside, and I have one of those breathing treatments, the little nebulizers that most people probably seen or heard from and, or heard of. And I took it out of the closet, and I opened it up. And its medication's probably been expired for like 24 years, you know, because I, I, I very seldom have to use that anymore. And uh, whenever I went to open it up and, and pour the liquid in the little thing that makes it become a fog or whatever it is, I noticed that my fingernails were blue and my vision was starting to sparkle on the outside. And when that happened, my heart started beating fast. And I was like, oh no, I only had one. Most of the times when you go to the emergency room, it takes two or three of those to sometimes save your life. And so I'm putting that in there and I'm telling myself, be cool, be calm. And whenever I walked in, I didn't see anybody in the house. And I was just putting it in and I had just turned it on and I just stuck that thing in my mouth. And I was breathing as deeply as I could, which was about that much. My, wa my wife walked into the room and she goes, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And I just kept breathing deep. You know, maybe you're not going through a trial or tribulation at this time, but I bet you know somebody that is. And what she taught me about helping somebody, because m maybe it's not you that needs to be cool and calm and composed through your trials. Maybe it's somebody else that you know that's going through a, through a trial or a tribulation. Because I learned a valuable lesson on that, on what she did next. She left. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm dying. And she's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I will be. I, I, I hope. And she just left. I was like, well, guess I'll die alone, you know. So I just focused on breathing deeply and, you know, and, and here in, in just about a minute, she came back. She had a big, big old cup of ice water. And she walked up and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed dying. And she hands me this cup of water. And it was the best drink of water I've ever had in my life. And then she did one other thing. She reached down and she just held my hand. That's how you deal with somebody that's going through the trials and tribulations of life. When it's not you, consider yourself lucky. But I bet you know somebody that is going through that. She didn't try to fix it. There's nothing she could do. She didn't try to make me feel better by talking she didn't say, well, I'll pray for you. Let me know if you're dead. You know, nothing like that. She got me a drink of water and held my hand. And you know what? Didn't Jesus himself say, I am the living water? Anybody that drinks of me shall never be thirsty again. Now, that doesn't mean our physical thirst. But what we need to do when somebody's going through these trials and tribulations is to just give somebody a drink of that water. And just be there for them. And just hold their hand. She didn't tell me, well, this is God's will for your life. She didn't say anything like that. She got me a glass of water. 
and sat beside me and held my hand. And about three minutes later, I was able to breathe again. I was able to get some air and my heart rate came down. And then I thought about just withdrawing of just, you know, asking Ty or, some, hey, can somebody fill in for me, you know, or, or I'd have to scratch. But, man, I, I had teammates depending upon me. And so I tried to calm myself, cool myself, and compose myself. And I went out there and got my horse and went out and was only one of six teams that were able to rope two cows back to back. They brought back the top five for the short go. And I'm proud to say I was in the top six. <laughs> All of that work, everything I went through, you know what? Sometimes the best laid plans, it's not going to work out like you want. Sometimes things are going to get hard. Sometimes it's going to be to the point that you are just physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. But if you can learn to remain cool, to remain calm, and to be composed, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, do something with your life that is meaningful, not to yourself, but to others. You'll be amazed at the ministry and the things that God will do for you. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I know that many people listening right now feel like they are on trial. They feel accused and beaten and harassed and maybe even humiliated in front of people, but there is a path through to peace that they are searching for, and that peace is only found in the love, trust, and faith in Jesus Christ. Things are seldom going to happen the way we would like, but being cool, calm, and composed is one of the greatest ways to being Christ-like. And God, I'm going to ask for healing for our, for our friend Daryl, that most people online, they've, they've never seen him. But here in Kiowa, he's the one that greets them every single day. They had to rebuild his aorta yesterday, and and uh, he came through the surgery just fine. And we're going to thank you in advance for the healing that you'll produce in his body and the peace that you'll lay on his wife's heart. And God, we just thank you for his life and his ministry of what he does of encouragement and protecting people and always offering a friendly handshake or a hug. God be with him and the rest of his family. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Have you ever dreamed of being a cowboy? Do you long to ride for the brand? If you're one of those rare individuals, then we at Save the Cowboy have something just for you. We believe that you are capable of more than you ever imagined. We are offering you the chance to ride for the Lord and save the Cowboys Long X Ranch. We can show you how to be stronger, go further, and ride harder than you ever thought possible. And you know what? We just happen to have a spot for a cowboy. You ready to saddle up? A Long X Ranch Cowboy is a person wanting to take their relationship with God to the next level. Our Cowboys strive to live a life worthy of their calling and help save the Cowboy gather the lost and bring back those that have strayed away. Are you ready to take the outside? If so, go to SaveTheCowboy.com and sign up today. We'll be waiting on you.